Please support the Climate Change and Happiness podcast. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com. The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello, I'm Thomas Doherty. And I am Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, our podcast. This is a podcast for people around the globe who are thinking and feeling deeply about climate change and other environmental issues. And this is a place to, to be with our personal side, the personal side of these issues for us, our emotional responses. Um, and Pano and I support each other as we talk about our own lives and things that we're doing. And so these, these podcast episodes are a little window into our conversations. And um, we've been talking about family and couples relationships, our own lives, our own families, our own couples relationships. And there's been a lot in the news lately about eco couples issues, you know, couples having debates and conflicts about their sustainability behaviors. And it gets into all kinds of issues about how we live and our lifestyle and whether we have children or not. Um, so we're going to talk about this and, uh, we have a plan to talk about couples issues and then also at some point about family dynamics. So all of you uh, listening here uh, are in some sort of family dynamic in your life. Uh, and many of you are also in couples. So I hope you find this helpful. And we're coming at this from a therapeutic perspective and a real perspective and a philo philosophical perspective. So Panu, you know, what's top of mind for you as we jump into this, this, this idea of you know, if we want to call this eco eco couples conversation, uh, what what's top of mind for you? Mm, yes, in places like Finland, we have already some physical impacts of climate change, and some people are more impacted by these, like the Sami people in northern Finland and some fishers, for example, in southern Finland, and so on. But where we really already see climate change impacts is in human relations and social dynamics and in an increasingly so. So over the years I've been concerned about how to respond to these impacts of climate change on our human relationships and uh, I sometimes lead workshops or discussion groups. Mostly I do research and advice reports and talks and that sort of thing. But in the groups, uh, I've heard from young young people that there, there are often some disputes between them and some of their older relatives mm. in relation to environmental politics and climate politics. And this clearly is a factor which affects their well-being. Well they are sad about the disputes to the relationships, but of course they don't want, want either to 
give up their climate values, so, so to speak. And generally, it seems that in our communities and societies, we would need much more social talk mm. about how to deal with these issues which come to our living rooms and kitchen tables. But I know, Thomas, that you meet people in person much more than I do. And I've got the impression that there's lots of different kinds of impacts of climate change on human relationships. So what's on top of your mind when thinking about this issue? Yeah, thanks, Panu. I think, uh, you know, I think today we can focus on the couples, the one-to-one relationships with our significant other, and then also realize that that takes place in the context of our family as well. You know, for young people, they're doing double duty. They're teens, adolescent teenagers, young adults, early 20s. They're finding their own way in the world. Their own environmental identity might be different than their family of origin and the values and the behaviors. So in the best of times, we get along well with our family and we are, our family shares similar values and we, in fact, are supported and loved by our family and we all deal with these, these things together. Um, but in sometimes our, our knowledge and what we see in the world diverts us from our, our typical family style practically in terms of the decisions we make about what food we eat and where we live and politics and all this sort of stuff. And we know we live in a, in a polarized time. So because of that, our significant relationship is really important for us. We need to be with someone that shares our values that we can be safe and secure with and um, puts a lot of pressure on our personal relationships, hmm. um, whether we're teenage, in a teen relationship, young young relationship, whether we're in a, just a, a, a easy romantic relationship or whether we're committing to each other or getting married or thinking about long-term or children, puts a lot of pressure. And the short story is that people don't have the tools, they, they don't have a lot of tools and concepts to talk about this. So they, they, they assume they know about their partner, but they have misunderstandings. And um, so there's been great stories in the media recently. Kasha Patel had a story in the Washington Post on, on Valentine's Day, you know, about partners worrying about climate change. And uh, Allison ha- Kaplan had a story in the New York Times about a couple, uh, the modern love uh, column there, about a couple disputing over the kerosene lamp that the, the male of this couple had at his sailboat and whether they should have an LED lamp. And it's a small thing, but it stood for all kinds of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's one territory is, is that, that, that couple's relationship dynamics. Mm. Yeah, I think definitely. So um, uh, couples are, of course, people of various ages, as you say, say Thomas, uh, and some pretty fundamental decisions are made by couples um, between 20 and 40 years, roughly speaking, for example, where to live and how to live and what will be the professions and will they try to have children or adopt children. And uh, in into all of these areas of life, climate change is starting to have an effect and people can have different takes on what would be the desired form of life. So also discussing with Finnish family 
therapists and social workers who meet 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 families and couples they say, tell that couples do sometimes end up in even strong disputes because of differences in climate values and mm-hmm. their desires yeah 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 so you know the tools that we've talked about in the podcast you know the, the idea that i have an environmental identity a sense of my identity in relation to nature and the natural world and it's built by my life experiences and where i grew up and you know my family of origin and where we lived and my education and where we traveled and our social class and our experiences and some families have really ecological values other families have more utilitarian values about using nature some families are conservative some families are progressive and so if you i find when you give couples of any age it could be it could be teenagers it could be any age um if you give couples some tools to talk about each each member of the couple it doesn't matter it could be gay or straight or different cultural backgrounds different diverse couples if you give them some tools like even just okay there's three kinds of eco values basically for people you're personal concerns about yourself, concerns about other people, so altruistic values, and then ecological values, concerns about the the natural world and the web of life, right? Those are three different kinds of values. And like for any given issue you're talking about, what's the dominant value for you in relation to that issue? So like in the Alison Kaplan's essay in the New York Times about the couple arguing about the kerosene lamp, the young woman is really coming at it from an ecological and altruistic value about other people and the the guy is saying, "Well, I like this. We like this lamp. It's very, you know, it's very helpful for us. It's 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 nostalgic." And so, coming at it from a more egocentric, and the young woman realizes, "Yes, I like the lamp too. It's really pretty. It reminds us of the old days when we're in the sailboat, and we love this." But you know, how do they sort out the different values? Because of course, kerosene is a dirty fuel, and it, it would be better to transition to an LED lamp. But once you give them some tools, then then they don't personalize it because otherwise it's like you're either with me or you're against me. You don't support me. Mm. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a, an insight from couples therapy, and this is good for all of us to hear and remind ourselves. But when you, whenever couples are talking, it's like watching a movie with subtitles, and the subtitles underneath whatever their conversation is are along the lines of, "Do you love me? Do you care about me? Can I trust you? Do I feel mm. safe with you?" every couple's communication has that as a subtext and we forget that and we argue about you know whether kerosene is better than some other fuel and we, we intellectualize the whole thing and 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 we miss the the core of our of our connection so um anyway so once you start giving people some insights to that it goes a lot better mm. yeah yeah Thank, thanks for sharing all, all that and i really like the subtitles uh, idea subtext mm-hmm. speaking in codes there might be different metaphors used here and one part of our condition as a kind of climate hostages as you mm. have say, said thomas is that we have to try to negotiate between individual responsibility 
and the need for structural reform. And this is something we discussed at an earlier episode of this podcast about ecological guilt, for example, but it has surfaced in many episodes. And it's tricky in many ways. There's different public discourses and social norms about it. And also in this very interesting story about the kerosene lamp, that dimension was also present, the male character character was more more like saying that you know we have to put things in perspective and it can't be that we have to get rid of this this lamp there's so so much bigger things going on and actually also the man had quite strong ecological values in the end mm-hmm. when, when there was mm-hmm. the discussion about what he was doing for a profession and during free time and so so on so uh, this psychological and psychosocial dynamic about individual responsibility and dynamics of ecological guilt, I think that's something which might be also very helpful for people if, if they get more tools about how to think about those dynamics and how to communicate about uh, about them. Otherwise, it can easily, easily become that people start bl- blaming others for not reacting the same way to this dilemma than one does himself or herself. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Because often, it's kind of common sense, but we, we tend to uh, connect and, and partner with people that have similar values to us. So part of it is reminding the couple that, oh, you actually share all these values and you're mostly on the same team. But again, we have different priorities at, at different moments. There's many different kinds of environmental values. And uh, we may agree on our experiential values about wanting to be in nature and go camping or go sailing we might we might agree on um animal rights and 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 different political things but we might we might disagree on a technological point about what strategy we think is better you know the stereotype is the male oriented person in the group is more technological and more logical and wants to focus on science and the and the and the female oriented person is more emotional and, and you know relational and that's that holds up um in relationships across different genders and s- sexual orientations um but it isn't always like that so mm. realizing and that's that's a microcosm of the larger environmental debate in our society because environmentalists debate all the time about you know like should germany should germany stop its nuclear reactors or not it's Mm. in the middle of stopping its nuclear reactors a lot of people think that's the worst thing to do right now we need nuclear power in terms of the transition but you know people are super passionate on both sides of that issue and so and that there's no right answer there it's a real pragmatic question but that that in a microcosm happens in our relationship whether we're deciding about whether we want to recycle plastic bags or um use kerosene in the in the in a lantern when we're on our sailing trip Mm -hmm. exactly exactly and these basic emotion communication and value communication skills of saying sometimes things out loud of course can be helpful saying like i i really appreciate that you care for the environment and i I notice that we have differing opinions about this particular issue at hand but i i want to say to you that i'm not you know blaming you for being being totally totally wrong here i just want to discuss this thing which is important for me now this is very very roughly speaking out loud, but you know, um, making these things audible and, and and not just presuming that the other knows what you are thinking. 
Exactly. This is kind of basic couples um, health, right? You know, people can't read your mind. So you do need to let them know what you're thinking and feeling and you need to compliment them. And it's much easier to get someone to change or align with you if you compliment them first and focus on the positive just in any kind of, you know, social mm -hmm. program, even in your in your relationship with your significant other. What I find is some of the couples therapy ideas that are already out there are just perfectly uh, useful to apply in an eco in an eco context. One of the things I do when I work with couples is uh, I have this kind of protocol when they're trying to make plans for the future, like maybe on their on your anniversary, you might want to plan your next year of life together. And um, so the the and I, I actually a client made this up, and then I helped them with it, and I've used it since. But you know, it starts with. Um, uh, celebration. What's working well? What are we happy about in our relationship? Visioning is the next step. What do, where do we see going in the future? Like what would be happening in the future? And then um, commitment is like, okay, what part of our of our visions could we actually commit to? Like you have a vision, you want to do this thing. I have a vision. Can we com commit to some piece? We can't do everything we want to do, but can I commit to some of your vision? Uh, or my vision, like whether we're going to travel or make a life decision. And then contract, you write it down. You have to write it down because if you don't write it down, people will, will remember things differently and then it'll lead to conflicts later. Mm. Uh, and that works really well with couples in all kinds of contexts. Starts with the positive, it gets people feeling good. There's visioning is quite creative. The commitment is more practical. It's like, well, you want to travel around the world in a sailboat. I don't know if I can commit to that in my life right now. So what can we do, you know, that we can commit to, and then we have to write it down. So six months later, we don't remember it differently where, where I said, I thought sailing might be nice sometime in the future. And you heard me say, we are going to go sailing next summer, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, so anyway, the writing down, but you don't start with the writing down cause that's, that's too limited. Mm -hmm. The writing down just comes as kind of a record. So, but very much applies to what we want to do in our lives, uh, you know. Mm, um, mm. Yeah, that, that's great and reminds me of ma many things I was part of when I was younger, including some so, some counseling, sometimes with couples, I'm not a professional counseling, and, and some of these communication skills courses for couples we went to when we were a young couple with my wife and mm -hmm. we've, yeah. we've been married over 20 years so that's a long long time sin since now but it reminds me of the peer group impacts which is of course a very universal ph phenomenon but perhaps that would be something also in demand for climate and ecological matters having more of these peer group realizations that hey we are not actually the only couple who is finding finding it dif difficult to make decisions about whether we should have a second car or no car at all. And what are we going to do with mm, traveling by plane when one of us is much more sensitive about climate emotions or flying than the other is? So perhaps peer, peer, peer group information might be helpful. I think it totally is. And, you know, listeners can, can think about that talking to their their um their larger partner groups but you do need some tools and you need some rules of engagement because otherwise mm. the polar polarized energy comes into the room mm. and it and our and our own um insecurity comes up 
couple of things you had mentioned earlier in our in our conversations i wanted to get to pano i mean recognizing that you know some of these behaviors like turning off lights and recycling and physical things they're they're defenses they're psychological defenses they we do these things mm. to help manage our anxiety so they really are important for us mm. to do and we're, when we're prevented from doing those we don't feel good um and then when our partner doesn't honor those we don't feel good you know if we're sharing a space with someone so um but there is an emotional piece to this uh mm. and uh I like this idea that lifestyle choices isn't the right word. It's too small, but I think mm. you said these are life constituting choices. Like these are choices that mm. build our life, you know, um, you know, help us to embody our meaning and our sense of ourselves. So mm. these, mm. these things are, I don't know that I like that word life constituting versus lifestyle. Mm. Lifestyle just sounds like consumeristic product stuff mm. but life constituting is more about no i'm building a healthy life for myself mm. yeah thanks for thanks for observing that that thomas and that's came to my mind several times when there is some writing about couples and especially uh, the reproduction issue mm -hmm. if that is described as a lifestyle choice i don't think that it does any justice to the magnitude of of those issues and decisions so there are also other issues which can be seen as life constituting but uh, that's definitely one and something we discussed in this podcast with jade sasser mm -hmm. at an early early epi episode and i would recommend listeners to return to that or find that if that's that, that's new new for you and of course there's huge loads uh, on that question, both for the couple, but also for their extended families and their social surroundings. So still we human beings have this tribe orientation uh, quite deep down, I think, and, and um, decisions of whether or not to try to have kids, uh, those evoke quite strong emotions and also unconscious processes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so the decision about whether to have a baby is is the ultimate life constituting decision, right? Because we're actually creating a whole new life that's going to want to mm. that's going to want to you know constitute itself as we go here. And um, yeah, that's a huge one. And yeah, I'd re uh, recommend listeners go back to our episode uh, Britt Ray and then with Jade Sass because we got into the, having a child decisions quite deeply. Um, and it really is a decision. It, it's it's not only just a, a yes or a no, but it's also a why and a how. And if we did it, what would it look like? And so, it's 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 a multifaceted decision. Um, so yeah, we have all of these behaviors. One of the things that's also helpful, even with little behaviors, small ones, uh, is that I you know they're ceremonial behaviors. So I, this is a thing that I've talked about with people, and they they find it helpful. So if I if I go to Starbucks and, and get a coffee or a latte and then I have this disposable cup, you know, when I do that, I always have a rule of trying to use use the cup again sometime. I, I like to to reuse things and not just use them once and throw them away. And that's just a little ceremony that I have. I mean, it doesn't necessarily change the world for me to reuse that cup or wash out plastic bags and reuse them or just any of these these things that we do. Um, you know, it might not change the world, but it's important for me. It's a ritual. It's a ceremony. It stands for my values. And 
And I like to, you know, give myself permission to do that, even if other people aren't doing it. So, so that's helpful in couples too, to realize that our, our partner might have a ceremony, a thing that they do that isn't necessarily this, as important to us, but I'll do the ceremony with them because it's a way for us to, to be connected together. And it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to reuse things. It's not a, it's not a big thing um, to do that. Mm. And then if we can be flexible and realize we are hostages in this situation and we can't control. So sometimes we can't do the ceremony that we want. We can't live the life that we want. I mean, that's the dilemma of all of us. Mm. You know, 70% of, of the population of the planet cannot live the life they want based on what we know people want and what the governments and what the power people in power are allowing us to do. We cannot live the life that we want. And that is just an existential dilemma of the modern world because certain people have, are stopping us from doing that. There's a lot of oppression in the world. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, realizing that, you know, having some shared rituals that, that, that uh, help us to constitute our values and realizing that partner A might focus on this part of sustainability and partner B might focus on this. And then, then we become a team. So you use your strengths and I use mine just if we're in a, you know, if you want to, if we want to uh, travel on a vacation and you can figure out the sustainability and the carbon footprint, and I'll figure out some of the personal interactions and in our health, you know, for our diet, for the lifestyle choices, where we live, we can divide and conquer and kind of work as a team with our different values and strengths. That's a better place to go than uh, clashing uh, and fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Ap appreciating the, the other. Yeah. Appreciating the uh, other so so that uh, he or she fe feels su supported and there's a joint pro project and rituals are a very interesting topic and uh, it would be lovely to do an episode on on, on that topic on, on its own and there's certainly many kinds of ceremonialistic and ritualistic behavior in our every, everyday lives and also in our environmental behavior. Re recycling, for example, is a very common thing that people talk about in relation to their environmental be behavior. And as you say, Thomas, it can be important for people as an, an, an also an anxiety management tool and I agree with what you say. And of course, then when one looks at the big picture, sometimes we have to be careful about only using recycling as a sort of single action bias or tokenistic mm -hmm. thing to do so that we disregard other more impactful choices in our lives. So that's what happens in Finland, at least sometimes also that people try to go behind the fact that, you know, I'm recycling so well that um, please don't criticize any other aspects of my life in relation to the environmental impact. So just as a side note, this theme of recycling, but uh, the very fact that it's an embodied thing to do, I think has a lot to do with its significance and many things related to environmental impacts are pretty abstract. So I think there's a clear impact. Uh, so I think there's a clear need for this embodied things and uh, I guess one could draw a link to couples here also uh, that there's there's a link there's a need for embodiment of, of things you know fl flowers rings mm -hmm. 
cups of cups of cof- coffee these t- things which every person who is in a relationship knows that they can be much more important than what their actual size is yeah we're getting into classic uh classic uh couples therapy material here with the whole love languages right that's a whole piece here anybody who's done couples counseling may have come across that that whole concept of the love languages whether i do whether i do you know words were positive words of affirmation to my partner or acts of service or quality time or touch and touch and sexuality gifts and tokens and you know cards and to be in a couple, you need to be able to understand and speak your partner's love language and, and how they show and, and receive love. And then that overlaps with our eco language, right? Our environmental identity. That's why I keep telling the therapists I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm training, you know, eco couples counseling is a big area. Really, a lot of people need help in this area. So, so a lot. We're going to put some. There's a lot of nice writing. Erica Berry is another one of our guests that. Mm-hmm. We, we spoke with regarding her book, Wolfish, and about her, her ideas about women and nature. And she's written very eloquently about relationships. And again, some of these news stories that came out around the Valentine's Day, Earth Day news cycle, we'll, we'll get at this. I saw just the other day a really nice short film uh, through the New Yorker short film program. Pela Kegerman, I don't, I'm not pronouncing her name right, it's a... Uh, Swedish uh, filmmaker, a short film about uh, a very young adolescent relationship, uh, a couple that are trying to work through a breakup in the context of a dystopian, you know, climate change future world. And it spoke to the challenges of, of you know, the teenagers and the, the young, young people out there that are just, hey, these are the first relationships I've ever had in my life. And I'm still trying to figure out how to be in a relationship with another person which is hard and we get our hearts broken and we don't know how to communicate and we get in the, with the wrong partners that hurt us and things like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then we're also concerned about this, whether, whether we're going to be alive in, in a decade kind of thing. And so that film helped to capture, I think a little bit of that too. us, us old people, mm-hmm. you know, older people, we've been through a lot of this already, but we forget what it's like just to have our first relationships with people. Mm. There's a whole, you know, sequence of this for our listeners that are that are listening in. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the tip. Bella Kogerman's film is new for me, even though she comes from the neighboring country of Sweden. And there's a great history of Swedish cinema from Ingmar Bergman to other di- directors mm-hmm. and some great stuff of human relations and couples relations depicted in those films. And now it extends also to the ecological conditions and dystopians or dystopias or utopias and one of Erika Berry's great writings deals with how we need also climate fiction love stories mm. so this brings us to the basic fuel of couples love this beatless like team that we have ended many episodes mm-hmm. uh, on on and uh, we, we need some some things to live for and amidst all the things that are going on in the world we do have the possibility for for love in our relationships and uh, if we can believe in the possibility of love also in various possible futures that will be highly motivating that's one of erica's great points in that essay and brings us to some fundamentals about couples yeah so that's a good um a good a good note to end on 
you know, so when we're debating with our significant other about some ecological behavior or political stance, we're really uh, arguing about how we're showing love to ourselves and to the planet. So it's really, we're really arguing about our love for nature and my love for nature is coming out differently than yours. If we can stay with that, um, is super helpful. So my love for nature is conflicting with your love for nature in some way. And then it starts to, to conflict with my love for you and your love for me, uh, as well. So, uh, all we need is love, uh, as they say, but, uh, yes, but it, it's what's most important at the end of the day. And if we can keep that, we're going to be much better off. So listeners, we, I, I know some of you find this helpful because we're human. And uh, um, so we'd love to hear from you of couples and things that helpful for you. Please send us a message. You can find us at climatechangeandhappiness.com and you can send us messages and ideas. Find our Patreon there and support us. Thank you very much. You all good, have good luck with your relationships. Pano, you have a good evening. Take care, everyone. Thanks again for discussing with us. The Climate Change and Happiness podcast is a self-funded volunteer effort. Please support us so we can keep bringing you messages of coping and thriving. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com.